0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Booked, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, chat some of the interesting figures and leading lights of this crazy industry we're in of writing and self-publishing. And today we are delighted to have a very special guest hailing from my part of the world. She is Katie Marie, a horror author from the UK. Katie, thank you so much for joining us, especially given the time difference. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, yeah, it's not too bad today. It's it's only 7pm here in uh, sunny England, she says, hoping no one can see out the window. <laughs> I'm lying, it's not sunny.
0: And of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems. How are you doing today, Craig?
2: Doing well. Thanks for joining, uh, Katie. Yeah, I don't think it's ever sunny there, is it? It's always rainy.
1: It's like one day a year we get sun and then we just complain because we all get like horribly sunburned.
2: We'll... You guys well, have... you have the same complexion as me so yeah I remember that <laughs> yeah. you guys have, must, must have the, the uh, most exciting collection of umbrellas though right? Cause...
1: I have a really cool umbrella actually it's a Deadpool umbrella so oh, when you open it, it it's red and black and it has like the Deadpool eyes on it but when it's closed and you put it in it's little umbrella bag it looks like a sword so oh, everyone cool. knows just how cool I am when I'm walking down the street <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Calica. So uh, we um, we're we're glad to have you on. Uh, you know, we were talking about the idea that you know you uh, write about characters that are not you know similar to yourself. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of times one of the most given pieces of advice to authors is write what you know. Right. So often that means you know writing about people that are like yourself or perhaps sometimes people that are in your life or whatever, but often, you know, you have to write about a character that is not anything like yourself. And, you know, being able to do that requires a lot of different skills, including like research and empathy and, you know, all sorts of things. So, um, you know, why don't you, actually, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about yourself and your writing, and then, you know, we'll we'll sort of jump into this topic.
1: Cool, cool, no worries. Um yeah so as i've said my name's Katie and i write horror in inverted commas cuz horror is an incredibly wide genre with lots and lots of subgenres in between all of that um i tend to write a lot of i say supernatural horror but it's also kind of psychological horror um my book a man in winter is well, it definitely falls into that category. Um, there is supernatural, ghosty elements, but the whole story centres around Arthur and his um, recent diagnosis of dementia. So you're thinking, is it really supernatural, ghosty spookums, or is this poor man just just suffering uh, his disease getting worse?
0: Spookums. I like
1: that word. That's a good. <laughs> I do tend to make up words, not in my books, but. I go by the logic that all words are made up, so I can just invent my own whenever I like. I use spookums, boogalins. <laughs> all, just...
0: My son said that Yeah, I like. He was saying some American word, emboldened or something, and I was like, that's a made-up word. And he's like, dad, all words are made up. And I'm like, you're quite right. That brought my world there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I love it when you get these little tidbits of uh, information and it's like, oh, my God, I never thought of it like that. Yeah,
2: that's <laughs> yeah, so and, bloody and when, true. And when it comes from your kids, it's even worse, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, God, yeah, because you're supposed to be older and smarter. And then, like, yeah. this this much tinier human comes up to you and it's like, I am wise.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I guess, um, you know, leading into this topic, then, you know, your book, has to do with a man with dementia. And you're clearly not a man. I don't know whether you have dementia, but I assume that you don't if you you know, if we were talking about doing this topic. So, um, you know, why did you sort of choose to write about a character like that? And, um, you know, how did you, uh, what kind of like research, and what did you need to do to to prepare and uh, be able to write this authentically?
1: Like, uh, that's a really, really good word, authentic, because that's exactly what I wanted Arthur to be, was incredibly authentic. Um, Arthur in was a strange creature, <laughs> quite frankly, because on one hand, he walked into my head fully formed uh, with his wee walking stick and his little secretive flask that he carries around and thinks nobody knows about him. Everybody knows about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but at the same time, he was probably the character I did the most work that I've ever done for any of my characters for because again keep stressing this word I'm going to sound like a broken record by the end of this but I really wanted him to be authentic and a plausible representation of what he was supposed to be which was an 80 plus year old man suffering from loss and dementia um, and yeah you're quite right I am not an 80 plus year old man and nor do I have dementia that I know about Um But yeah, Arthur actually sprang from what I used to do for a living. Um, I actually work for our national health system at the moment. But prior to this, I worked in the legal profession as a legal executive doing a lot of private client work, which is wills, estates, uh, lasting power of attorneys. This put me in contact with a lot of people of a certain demographic, of a certain age group who had recently received a diagnosis of dementia and were now frantically scrabbling to get their affairs in order before their disease progressed if it was going to progress things like that it was actually quite harrowing at times um but being able to sit and speak with these people because you don't just like rush people into your office sit down right I've got my checklist right what do you have what's your name where's your address what what things do you want to leave who do you want to leave it to it's it's not like that at all. It's much more personable. You sit down, you have conversations with people, you really get to know them. And it was an absolute privilege to get to know so many people at such a difficult time. And every single one of them, without like missing a beat, they were all really, really concerned about their families more so than themselves. I mean, obviously, they were like, oh, God, this, this isn't fun. This isn't nice. I have this this disease and I'm worried about it but they were worried more for their families and for each other than what it meant for them personally and I really wanted to get that communicated through Arthur um because I've watched a lot of horror films shockingly enough and when you see people in horror films and they have things like a mental illness or a diagnosis of dementia something to do with that they are often either a terrifying villain something to be feared and run away from or they are an extremely vulnerable victim and they lose all personal agency and that wasn't what I was seeing at all it was again to keep using the a word it was a very inauthentic experience see that doesn't start with a that starts with i I'm dyslexic (laughs) that's my excuse um yeah but it was what I was seeing in fiction and media was not what I was seeing when I sat down to talk to people. And it really opened my eyes to just how important it can be to have good, authentic um, characters in fiction and various forms of, of media. And I have since very, uh, again, feel very privileged to have had this. But I've had people come up to me after reading my book and say that they understand their relative a bit better now they they have a bit more empathy towards them they are they're less frightened of them and more concerned for them and that was that was probably the best feedback I could ever hope to get ever it was amazing
0: that's wonderful to hear I mean it's I think right now we live in a time I think where people are super sensitive about who's writing what and it's I know there's I personally hate it there's a meme going around of like uh, where uh where women say i'll write myself as a male author might and some of them are like laughable and funny and stuff like that but it's i think it's kind of not necessarily a positive thing where you say hey you're a man you can't write this if you're white, right, you can't write this if you it's it's if you could only write who you were then that wouldn't give you much scope to write anything at all would it
1: not at all i mean if i could only write myself Oh, my God. I can't imagine how boring my books would be. They'd be so dull to be full of just like middle-aged flipping English ladies walking around, probably being very nerdy together. They'd probably be playing Dungeons and Dragons or something and arguing over who was going to get what for like dinner or something. It would be incredibly dull. Nobody would want to read it.
2: I know. I know what you mean. I, I can't imagine how many books I could write about someone who's sitting around watching TV all the time.
1: See. (laughs) <laughs> is it? you need the diverse um cast to like make your story any blooming good yeah but it sure. does definitely mean that you you should have a lot of again i'm gonna keep using the word authentic and empathy you're, you're gonna get sick of it by the time uh we're done but to have that diverse cast you shouldn't just be having them there for like oh i need a diverse cast boom there we go everyone's there to like tick a box as it were they should be there for reasons. There should be research. There should be focuses on empathy. There should be self awareness about um your own personal like biases. And um you need to like try and nullify all of that stuff, which is a lot easier said than done, especially if you're unaware of some of the biases you might might have. Um characters should be like described equitably and there's there's a whole list of things that you need to do to make sure you get it right.
2: Yeah, you don't want to, you definitely want to stay away from the stereotypes. Um, You know, we we've talked to someone back in, um, you know, I think it was episode 64, uh, Patrice williams Marks. She uh, is a sensitivity reader. Mm. And so that is, a lot of this is similar to what we discussed uh, with her was, you know, the idea that uh, when you write a character like this, it's not that you can't if you're not that character, but often you'll want to show it to somebody who has experience with that. In, in her case it was like sensitivity readers um, and they can look at the story, look at the book and make sure that you are being authentic with how you're treating that character and you're not falling into the stereotypes that are typically thought of with those characters. Um, so yeah, did you ever use any kind of uh, uh, sensitivity readers? Or, you know, I know you you for this specific case you had a ton of of experience with all sorts of people so you probably didn't need it as much but you know you might have used them anyway i'm not sure
1: if it had felt appropriate to give them my book i definitely would have done i think beta readers and sensitivity readers although i think they're probably more like editors than anything else <laughs> um i think they are vital to to the process the more eyes you can get on your book the more like the better your writing is going to be just just flat out just because You've worked on this for so long and you almost go blind to some of the flaws it can have. But it's uh, like I mentioned, with biases, you might not even be aware of some of the biases you have because your life experience isn't that of your character. Um, And no matter how much research I do, I'm never going to have the life experience that Arthur had um, because I'm never going to get married and have loads of children and then lose my wife to a break in and then get diagnosed with dementia and move into like an assisted care facility she said hopefully see watch all that happen now (laughs) 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 everything's just going to go downhill from now but (laughs) but yeah so i'm not going to have that lived experience and through again i hesitate to use this this particular language but through no fault of my own i might be unaware of certain things that somebody who has that lived experience is keenly aware of so it's always good when you can send, even if it's just excerpts out to other people to try and get more eyes, to get to get more viewpoints on on what it is you've popped down.
0: And Where do you begin with that process? Like you had Arthur in your head. Like, where did you begin? You said he arrived in your head almost fully formed. Is that because you'd interacted with so many people in his position that it's almost like you knew how they would act if you put them in a, in a fictional situation?
1: I think that is why Arthur did basically just stroll on in almost fully formed. Like he wasn't completely, he needed work as, Mm -hmm. uh, as all characters do, but I had a very clear image of him when he strolled on in. And I do think, as you say, it's because I'd been talking to a lot of people. I'd spent a lot of time around older people who, like I said, had, had recently had this diagnosis, but, like no no group of people is going to be a monolith. So I I could very easily have missed things out with Arthur. Arthur's experience isn't going to be universal for everybody who's going through this same thing. And that's always something to keep in mind. But I find like when I'm writing other characters who I haven't had personal experience with myself, I find things like um, Facebook groups and social groups, writers groups. I'm a member of uh, various writing associations and so many in facebook groups it's ridiculous my facebook feed is nothing but like horror riots <laughs> and uh and cat pictures as well i was going to
0: say you've got a very adventurous cat going on behind you
1: <laughs> yeah that's that's finnegan he's a oh, good name yeah he's, he's he's a cute lad but he's a the bum <laughs> sometimes but hopefully he'll behave himself for the most part he says immediately trying to go behind the plant <laughs> you're a so, bum uh...
2: mate <laughs> I think that, um, you know, you did it uh, in, a, right, in the right way in the sense that, you know, and this this worked out because of, of the job you had, but uh, speaking to a number of people, not just one person uh, that had, you know, dementia and that were sort of in that sort of age group and all that stuff, you get a whole range of, uh, you know, of, 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 I guess, the characteristics of that Person and their story and and what they've gone through, as opposed to you know if somebody was trying to you know research this and only spoke to one, they might get they might just happen to get a very stereotypical example or 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 an example that is not at all you know uh, comparative to the group as a whole. So once you once you talk to a bunch of people, you know, it's, that's, that's kind of the the advice I give to people that are doing beta reading or are having beta readers is you don't want to give it to one beta reader because that one beta reader might just not get your book. Like it just might, you know, their, their experiences, their life experiences, color, everybody's life experiences, color, how they see things. And you just might happen to get the one beta reader that is just not, you know, in tune with your book. And then the the advice they give you is not great. Whereas if you have a few of them, you can sort of take that aggregate and be like, okay, everybody sort of says this is a problem. So this probably is a problem. Everyone loved this, except for this one guy, I could probably discount that one guy, right? So it's sort of the same thing, I guess, when you're doing the research for a character that you're unfamiliar with is it's better to probably talk to a whole range of people in that category.
1: I, I completely agree. I think it's it's a really good idea to have a big wide net that you can cast, nice and wide. And especially in these days with the internet, I don't think there's there's any excuse not to because we are inundated with um, people's stories told in their own words. And you can it's it's entirely possible. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's simple, <laughs> but it's not easy to necessarily go out and find a wide range. And again, you can find people through various forums I mean I keep referencing Facebook because it's the one I use most often but it's it is like you say very very important to try and get a, a wide a wide reaching net. so I'm hoping fingers crossed <laughs> to start my um my PhD in creative writing this year I'm, I'm waiting for the official uh, acceptance letter to come through Again, so many fingers crossed, all of the toes and all of the fingers.
0: Wow, we'll uh, have to call you Dr. Katie.
1: Ah, yes. See, that's the only reason I'm doing it is so that when I'm in a restaurant, I can be like, that's what the doctor ordered.
0: Someone has a heart attack and they're like, is there a doctor in the house? And you're like, <laughs> <"Do> you need <laughs> a poem? Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. That's literally what my partner said when I uh, I told him I'm going to do my PhD. And he's like, if we're ever on a plane and somebody needs a doctor, I'm going to stand up and ask if they need a poem. And I'm like, well, I don't write poetry <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I'm hoping to, to get accepted onto that. Again, all of the fingers crossed. Um, but I'm writing about disability representation in the horror genre. And one of the questions I'm having to answer is how will I make sure that I'm doing plausible representation? Because that's like the whole point of the, the project. And I'm going to be doing a collection of short stories with people with various disabilities. And the way I'm going to try and get around to that Is by getting as many real life accounts as humanly possible by using a wide range of beta readers, by using sensitivity readers, people who have had these experiences themselves, more than one, (laughs) and uh, see if I can't get some, some good feedback that way. And also by reading really, really widely.
2: So you end up just um, sending messages to people like you join a group of of people that are, you know, in that category and then you send messages and say, hey, you know, I'm writing a story. Does anybody want to talk to me, interview them or or something like that?
1: That's exactly it. Basically, I try not to go into a group with the mindset of, right, what can I take from this group? I try and give something back as well. Um, But I'm always very clear and upfront, like this is the reason I have joined. I also have these like experiences. If anybody wants to come and pick my brain, do feel free. But but yeah, so it's basically just joining the right kind of groups, um, making people aware of what it is you need from them and just asking for volunteers effectively.
0: So who are your inspirations? I was just thinking. I mean, one of the things that I noticed repeated in the reviews for A Man in Winter were people saying, like, yeah, he's dealing with a, a horror situation. But in some ways, the horror situation is what he's going through as a person. And that reminded me of things people say about Stephen King. You know, he the monsters in his books are the people, not necessarily the monsters. And it was it was just interesting seeing those parallels. So who are your inspirations in terms of horror writers and how do you think they've handled the same challenge?
1: Oddly enough, Stephen King is one of my favourite horror writers. I know a lot of uh, people who write horror are like, "Oh, Stephen King," just because he's big and famous. But no, the dude knows what he's doing. He's he's yeah. a good writer. He's he's one of the most prolific authors for a reason because he writes good stuff, man. Um, he's not perfect. I'm always the first one to say that he's not perfect. He can write. Um, again, sticking with the disability theme, just because I've been living and breathing it for ages now. Um. He can write some really good characters with disabilities. And then in his next book, he will write the most stereotypical like thing that you, like, you're like. you like, why, Stephen? Why? Why did you do that? Stop it. It's like, where was your sensitivity reader? Where were your beta readers? Why did nobody tell you that this might not be great?
0: I think when you get to his level, it's like, who needs beta readers? Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, even if yeah. you work, can you imagine being Stephen King's beta reader and like, 10, oh yeah, Mr. Stephen? might want to be changed Sorry. Can, you, can you stop Even. polishing
0: that medal that obama gave you for writing for a second and let me give you the criticisms
1: Yeah, i i said yeah, we wouldn't feel comfortable criticizing <laughs> <if> <laughs> him to his face run away we don't
2: i mean we don't know right he might maybe all of his first drafts are terrible and he has an amazing editor and 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 it's that secret editor who's working behind the scenes that really makes him as good as he is right? we don't know <laughs>
1: You don't, you don't. I imagine he'd have to have a few because I think he's changed like publishers and whatnot throughout his career. So uh, he's either got one in his pocket. Like, yeah. Sorry, my brain's running away with that. I've just got like this mental image every now and <laughs> again. He just goes down into his basement and there's this poor guy chained up in the corner. Being like,
2: so that, that's how Stephen King does his research. He chains like, him <laughs> from misery. He just kidnaps some people, chains them to a bed. <laughs> I get it.
1: Yeah. Oh, good Lord. No, 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 no. I can't <laughs> imagine Stephen actually hobbling people. That's too horrible. But I, I,
0: I, That's it. He goes to some very dark places. So how dark do the places you you go to and come from get?
1: probably not as dark as his yeah (laughs) um but yeah they uh I tend to try and find the tragedy in real life and then maybe give it like a supernatural twist again this is very much what I did with Arthur I was around a lot of people who were going through something that was very traumatic (laughs) um and dealing with that well I say dealing that's a horrible word I was talking with them and their families and uh, seeing just how much it was affecting everyone involved and how scary it was for, again, everyone involved. It, nobody really did it alone. It was it was really scary. But then you take that and you put a supernatural twist on it, like I did with the the ghost of Arthur's wife turning up.
0: And that's you. I...
1: New... Hmm? Oh, Sorry? no, carry on. I was just going to say, I really like horror that, that does that. I, I really enjoy horror that looks at sort of mental health issues well. And horror that does it with a social conscious as well. Like it uses terrifying imagery to examine something that you deal with in, in like society, for example, not wanting to sound like Jared Leto's Joker. But um, yeah, things that look at stuff like that, like the Babadook did depression really well. And um I'm trying to think. That uh, was the only a terrifying
0: that, <laughs> movie.
1: It was really good. <laughs> I really like that one. And things like uh like Get Out is uh, one that comes to mind straight away and it follows. They were really good films that looked at aspects and how society views certain things, like um trying to think of a way to say it politely so we don't get demonetized, but like um casual relationships. Yeah. Um it follows and whatnot and the stigma attached to it and and whatnot. It was really good. It's a good film. Watch it.
0: That's, I mean, yeah, that's a, a brilliant film, Get Out. It's like, I, as a Brit, I know, never quite fully understand how race works in America because it's something that I wasn't brought up in. But that film in particular, it's like, yeah, it's a horror film, but the horror they're talking about is, again, more based in tangible, real-life stuff, which I guess is what the the appeal and the, the opportunity horror gives you.
1: It is. If, um, have you seen the latest one from the director of Get Out? Because he did Get Out Us, and he's done one called Nope.
0: I haven't seen Note, but I've heard about it and it's I've heard it's got so it's got nice. a, a scene in real life based on a chimp attack that happened here in America in Connecticut. It was like horrifying.
1: Yeah, it was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> it was really brutal and it was so well done. Like the sound design and all sorts of stuff was amazing. But the film itself was was again really, really cool. Definitely worth watching.
0: Now you started off your I mean this uh, Man in Winter is your first novel, isn't it?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, my first novella that is picked up by a publisher.
0: But you have quite an extensive history in writing, especially short stories, and it's ah uh, be interesting to see your to learn a bit about uh, how you approach characters in short stories because you've got such a small amount of of wordage to play with. It's so important to get that right. How do you how do you go about it? Um,
1: for short stories, I tend to try again with the novella it was very character based it was very focused on arthur and his journey his journey his story that he he had to tell but with my short stories i'm usually i get my inspiration more from like an event so it's it's more like a plot focused thing and then i build the character around the plot so the, the, the 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 characters in short stories are what the plot needs them to be and then i go from go from there and i find with short stories especially Less is more. Unsurprisingly. Yeah. So less description, less um less word count, less fluff, it's more just a bang bang bang. This is happening, this is happening, this is happening. This is how this poor sod is dealing with what is happening to them.
2: That's really okay. So if you were to um come up with other sort of ways that uh that you can sort of bring in the characteristics and the characters that are not similar to yourself, other than interviewing them. Um, You know, for example, also because you said um, with writing the short stories, you know, you're finding the character that, you know, fits the the story and stuff. If you don't have a lot of experience with a character or with a type of, of person, what's the best way to figure out what type of person would fit best in that story?
1: That's a really good question. It's not easy, <laughs> just to put it bluntly. It's It can be a real challenge sometimes because it's very easy in those situations to just do a self-insert. And if all your stories are a self-insert, like we said earlier, all my stories are going to be unbel- unbelievably boring. And obviously we don't want that. So the best way I find to find a character that fits well, again, I'm repeating myself an awful lot today, it's to be very well read to read a wide variety of different types of story by different types of author, a diverse authorship is always, always gonna be beneficial to you. And so you can see effectively what other people have done, but also take inspiration from like nonfiction biographies, things like that as well. And to pull from their actual real life lived experience and think, right, that's actually got similarities to what it is I'm trying to do in this short story. I had a really good line for this earlier, and I can't for the life of me remember it at the moment. It's going to come back to me in a second. Like, probably when I go to bed, it will pop back in, and I'll Frankenstein up and be like, ha-ha!
2: So, okay. so if you, um, I mean, when you're, you're reading a wide variety of stuff, and that might give you some ideas for stories that you are writing or thinking about writing, but if you specifically are in the middle of writing a story and you, you know, you need a specific character or you need a character, you know, are there ways at that point to figure out what it is you really need in that character? Um, and then, you know, because otherwise, you know, the way you were describing it, it's almost working in the opposite direction of like reading about a bunch of different characters. So you have sort of that, those ideas in your head and but if you if you're coming at it from the other angle you you don't have that yet and you're writing your story and you need that and you don't want to self-insert you know is there any sort of techniques that you can use to sort of figure it out like what what is it that you really do need and then you can take that and, and go research or go read some things about people that are like that.
1: Yeah, I I actually use a tool called Novel Chick. It's relatively new. I got in, in when it was still in like its beta form. And they have a fantastic character builder. And they ask you all sorts of questions about your characters, and all sorts of questions about your plot. So you can really think about things that you might not have thought about until you got to the point of writing. And you're like, oh, no, now all of a sudden, I need this character to be X, but I've not built that into the character already and it really gets you thinking about all the different ways that things could go and what it is you need to basically address what's happening in your short story or longer fiction, whichever it is that you're you're happening to write. So things like character builders are usually quite good. They can help you identify things. Character sheets, you can find them a dime a dozen on just by doing a basic Google search there. They're not always great, but some of them can be gold dust. And then you can always um cobble together your own if you've got like a whole load that you've found, and then you can take from each one
2: yeah so so okay, so you use those uh so I guess the you know the order of operations is you know you're writing your book, you need some characters, you start using some of these tools, figure out the kind of character you need, and then go and research your character, yeah, and then uh probably ask some people to sensitivity or beta read it and then i guess you're done
1: (laughs) effectively yeah
2: well so have you written a lot of so you've talked about this one character now what are some of the other ones you've written about that are you know very diverse from yourself at least
1: I'm writing well I say actually I keep forgetting that I've actually got this one going on I have a novel that's gone out to agents at the moment and again all of the fingers crossed that it gets uh, picked up by somebody and my main character in that one um, is again another chap I tend to write chaps (laughs) it's it's a whole thing Um, but yeah he's a middle-aged alcoholic who again lost his brother in mysterious spooky circumstances and uh, yeah he's a search and rescue operative person I'm not sure what the job title is properly, but he works for search and rescue in a big forested area and he's uh, like I said he's a horrendous alcoholic to the point where in uh, very early on in the book he gets put on a leave of absence because of his drinking and a lot of his relationships have fallen apart because of this and the few that he's managed to like cling on to are held together with like spit hope and other people's compassion
0: now that's so he interesting was... that that's almost mm-hmm. mirrors though with arthur's story with you know his a, a i guess the the affliction he's got alcoholism it, it means that people might might not believe what he says so much maybe he questions his own experiences
1: yes yeah it, it certainly can work that way um alcoholism i've gone down a slightly different road with it with um toby just because i didn't want him to be the same as as arthur toby's more uh he pushes a lot of people away and People are quite happy to go away, quite frankly, because Toby's a bit of an ass, um, to put it bluntly. Again, um, but yes. Yeah, so, again, I'm not a chap, and I'm not a raging alcoholic. I promise. She says, moving all of the beer cans. Out of the way <laughs> you can't see them on camera. Um, but it was a really, again, he was quite a challenge to to write at times because the way a situation would pop up, I would deal with it in my own way. He would deal with it by going and drinking and then have to deal with with the consequences. And it is really difficult sometimes when you're writing characters and you really get into the flow of things and you're like, okay, so right, this is going on now and this is what he's going to do about it. And then I'd read back the chapter like a couple of weeks later and I'd be like, hang on a minute, he wouldn't actually do that. Because that's that's what a hopefully logical person would have done. That's That's a reasonable reaction to have. And he is meant to be fundamentally unreasonable. At least in certain stressful situations,
2: right, so um and then this book is is you said censored to publisher, right? So when you were writing that, um, how did you do the research? Is it simply what we've been discussing? You went and found some groups or talked to some people that were raging alcoholics. <laughs> Presumably when they were sober, I don't know. (laughs) But uh, how how did you do the research for that?
1: Again, it was a, like I said before, quite a wide range of different things. Um, When I was working as a legal executive, I didn't just do private client, I also did personal injury. And we all again, it does also fall under some of the private client stuff we did but we would come into contact with people who had a lot of problems and they'd come to us for advice on um, particularly things like benefits and whatnot what they could could claim could they get it for this did it count as this kind of illness Uh, we'd encounter people with these kind of problems when we did clinical negligence cases especially with mental health issues so I did come into contact with people who were alcoholics. I also used to work behind a bar when I was at university. So I definitely came into contact with my fair share then. But that definitely wasn't the only thing I did. I did also um, do basic internet research for things like symptoms. Um, I read books by psychologists who had treated people with alcoholism. I watched a lot of YouTube videos. And again, I would have if I could have found any, that it wouldn't have felt like I was being intrusive, I would have considered going to something like Alcoholics Anonymous. But I wasn't quite comfortable enough to do that. Yet. you know, just walking again, in there
0: with a notepad and be like, don't worry. It's
1: yeah, fine. I'm just spying on all of you to see what you like. It's like, no, that would have felt horrendous at the time. And I was uh, definitely not confident enough to do something like that. But if I was, if I was writing that book again now, or starting to write it now because it takes me ages to write things this is why I was a fair bit younger when I started this one I would have um maybe reached out online maybe sent an email and said look is it appropriate for me have you got people like could you reach out to or make it known amongst your group could I put a little flyer up is anybody willing to talk to me because I'm writing a book could I interview somebody or hopefully more than one somebody because again like you said you can get one experience and that's not a monolith of the situation at all
0: so um with these books, have you received any? I mean, it seems like you've received a lot of positive feedback, and you got good reviews. There has there uh, did you have to adjust to any feedback you got from people uh when you wrote characters like Arthur? Did people uh when they first saw it ever give you anything to the, made you want to change what you'd written?
1: um A Man in Winter actually went through quite a dramatic transformation. <laughs> Um, for a couple of reasons. One of them was character-based. Uh, one of them was also that I got told um that novellas just wouldn't sell, nobody would want to pick it up, it wasn't marketable. Make it longer. And I did, and it was dreadful, so I changed it back again. Um, but yes, yeah, I did actually receive some feedback when I was um talking to people about what it was I was writing, and they were like, Oh, I wouldn't mind reading like a chapter of that. And I'd give them a chapter and they'd be like, Okay, so this is what's happened with Arthur. Why is his family reacting like that? It was never actually Arthur who they had an issue with. I was very fortunate that way. It was always, why is his daughter not questioning what's going on? And I was like, damn, I need her not to question it for plot reasons. But but yeah, that, that did actually come up a few times. And I had to sit and think and see if I could rework something. And That's really that.
0: And in terms of, so you, you had, you know, Arthur came into your head fully formed. And you said it's a very character-driven piece. Did you are you a plotter or a panster when it comes to something character driven in some ways they kind of like write themselves except you know to have a really satisfying story especially a horror story you need to have a really good ending so so how much of it was planned out and how much did you just jump in with both feet? full?
1: see i'm a hybrid creature <laughs> <laughs> i will plan the backside out of absolutely everything I write. It's actually my favorite part <laughs> is doing all the planning. I love putting together a really good meaty detailed plan. I love using um, tools like I mentioned earlier, the novel, t- novel chick tool um, to help me build up my characters, build out my plot, like basically lay the groundwork. I will literally plan out my chapters to the point where I've got right a big sentence at the top of the page, this is what needs to happen in this chapter, and then bullet points for every single paragraph this has got to happen then this then that then the other this is a reaction and that's how I get my first draft together I never plan the ending oh that's so interesting I've never ever done an ending and I will write a first draft of something and I won't write the ending I will leave it a blank page up until usually about the second draft because I'll have an idea in my head of like, okay, so this is what's going to happen in the story. And this is what it is I want to happen at the end. Like, I don't know, character X is going to die horribly at the end. It's going to be really tragic. Everyone's going to be sad. And then I'll write the story and I'll be like, oh, my God, this, he can't die anymore. It's not going to work. It's going to be like a really unsatisfying ending. And rather than have to rewrite an entire ending, I, I try and get to really know the story and what the character is like before I will then be like, yeah, this is how I can make this a more satisfying ending. Man and Winter actually had about three different endings before I settled on on the one I had.
0: Now, it's self-published, isn't it?
1: Man and Winter's not. Man and Winter was published through um, Bridget Gate Press.
0: That's it. Sorry, you already answered that question. I don't know where that came from. That's, so I do have inter- some
1: self-published stuff, so there's there's probably an overlap.
0: <laughs> well, I was interested. How did you go around approaching uh, uh, approaching them? and um, Had you already written the the novella? Did you write it as a response to that?
1: Um, I will write the story first and then send it out. I have a paranoia that I would ever reach out to, for example, a publisher or an agent and say, hi, this is what I'm writing. Here's the first couple of chapters. And they'd come back and be like, oh, my God, this is fantastic, she says in some complete fantasy world. I'd like to see the whole thing by tomorrow. And then I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) sit <laughs> quietly in a corner and cry for 45 minutes and then have to send a very apologetic email back so sorry please don't well Bridget's me. Gate
0: is is quite a new publisher isn't it I think it started in 2021 and uh but um what appealed to you about going with them in particular we just did a podcast talking about independent publishing and small publishing as an option to go uh that's between self-publishing or going with a trad pub so what made you choose Bridget's uh Bridget's Gate
1: it was really really easy to choose them because uh i am a control freak she says and i am also or at least i was i like to think i'm a little bit better now um i was very very naive in what it was i had to do to be published i'd read a lot of books i'd watched again all of the youtube videos loads of writers advice and everyone says something different everyone's like this is what you have to do if you want to self-publish and get like your book off the shelves so that people actually want to pick it up. You need to do all of these things. And then somebody else will come along and say, don't listen to them. You need to do all of these things. So I was sitting there going, oh, my God, I have no idea what to do. So but at the same time, I, like I said, I'm a horrible control freak. And I wanted to retain an element of control over what happened. I wanted to feel confident enough to stand up to my publisher and say, I really like this idea you've got here, but this one over here, I'm not that keen on. Would you mind if we didn't do it? And if I'd have been with a huge, scary publisher, I'd have cowered behind my chair and been like, okay, sir, take my book. It's fine. Off you go. uh,
0: Do you think going with a small publisher gives you more opportunity to explore characters who aren't like you? Like, uh, yeah cuz they, they they would have the opportunity to take chances that maybe trad Pub wouldn't
1: so much that's that's a really really good point um because it it's exactly that i can't imagine a big publisher picking up a a short novella where the main character is an elderly chap because that's a small demographic like if you think that people only read books where they see themselves there's not that many elderly gentlemen with dementia who were seeing ghosts of their dead wives hanging around.
0: Not that we know
1: of, Yeah, not that we know of. They might be. They might just be being really quiet about it. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I think that it definitely was a risk. And I really appreciate Bridget Gate taking that risk with me and that they were able to pick it up. And um, all the changes that they suggested to it were fantastic. They were really keen on keeping me involved in the process all the way through. They were really, really good. And I don't think I'd have got that with a bigger publisher.
0: Now, unfortunately, we're running towards the end of the time. So maybe we could go. And what advice could you have for, for people listening to this, writers who are like, I mean, maybe they they paused, maybe they had some hesitation about writing what it is they wanted to write because they needed to include a character who was so different from from who they are. What advice would you have for, for writers in that position?
1: Um, compassion is key definitely. Write with compassion, write to be authentic. Don't write a character just because you want to tick a box. So don't write a character just because you think like, I need my book to be more um, diverse. I'm going to chuck in some of the LGBTQ plus community because your characters are actually people. They're not, I mean, they're they're not real. They're not like imaginary friends. Um, But the people that you're writing about are very much real and they are actual people with like nuance and diversity in themselves. They aren't just one thing. And your character should reflect that. Nobody is, again, I keep repeating myself, but nobody's a monolith. So definitely write with compassion, write with empathy. Do all of the research talk to actual real people (laughs) who have had a diverse experience and obviously you don't expect just one person to have had a diverse experience like widen your net talk to as many people as you possibly can and think are you putting this character in the book because they serve the story or are you putting this character in the book to score points
0: that's great advice you know right now in this day and age i think that's a very important question that a lot of creative people need to need to ask themselves
1: this is it i mean if i wanted to score points all of my characters would be strangely diverse Mm -hmm. and like there would be characters with disabilities there would be characters like arthur arthur is like my main character who doesn't fit into like i don't even know how to put it but he's he's not like the generic main character and that's because he fit into that story other stories like it wouldn't fit so you don't write it
0: yeah, Well, that is great advice. Now, unfortunately, we are running out of the time. So we're gonna have to to wrap this up. Uh, Craig, did you have any final questions?
2: Uh, you know, not questions, but, you know, just I, I agree, like this was really, you know, useful. And I like the advice of, you know, making sure that we're putting in the characters that fit the story and not just, you know, ones that are Popular at the moment, and you know everybody's talking about this now. So let me write a story about it. You know, you really want to have that authenticity to really sell your story, to really, you know, have people connect to it. And uh, just shoehorning somebody in because uh, you know it's it's uh, it's all the rage right now. You know, it's not really the best the best way for success. I think. So I appreciate you know all the advice you've given us, and um, hopefully you know you'll fingers crossed that you'll get that second book uh you know accepted by the publisher and uh, and you know carry forward and good luck with your um phd
1: thank you very much and thank you for having me it's been an absolute delight
0: well before you go katie where can people find your book
1: um they can find all of my books on amazon <laughs> yeah so absolutely everything um i'd also have a website which is katie marie and you can find me on all the social medias and it's always Katie Marie Writer or Katie Marie Wright.
0: That is brilliant. Well, we'll make sure to pop a link down in the description down below. And in fact, if you're listening to this or watching on YouTube, while you're you're here, why don't you head down there and drop us a comment and let Katie know. Oh, yeah, Katie's doing the hand movements. Too. <laughs> let us know. Uh let Katie know how much you appreciated everything she had to share with us. And while you're down there, if you haven't already hit that subscribe button, there's little bell notifications, So you get notified every time we drop a new episode. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, Katie. We'll be back next week with another special guest. We're delighted to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you. It was lovely.